Uh, Father, our Father God, we, we pause this Sunday and, and reflect on the dignity of every human life. And I remember the prophet Jeremiah, who, when he was discouraged and frustrated, ready to, ready to give up, you, you said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Your encouragement to Jeremiah in the midst of his own hopelessness and frustration was that you knew him in the womb. What he would be afraid of, where he would go, what he would do. That you, the God of the universe, saw into Jeremiah's mother's womb and you saw his life and his dignity. And so would you help us to be a church that would see every person, whether in the womb or out, see the dignity and the worth, the infinite value. Would you forgive us for the ways we trivialize human life, others? And I, just, I pause just to desperately plead for, for our nation and our culture. Um, help us to be a church who winsomely and with courage conveys the dignity and value of every human life. And we plead, we desperately plead that our culture would be a place where um, women are not marginalized because of the vulnerability of, of an unexpected pregnancy. And we're so far from that, Lord. We're in a season where all around us we're lamenting um, just men's rampant sexual mistreatment of women and the wreckage of that sin all around. And God, Roe v. Wade is a part of that wreckage. And we lament that. And so would you help us to be a church that is an alternative community to this culture, a place where we humbly fight for the dignity of all human life, where we will encourage and support all who find themselves in unplanned pregnancies. And we pray your blessing on advice and aid. Make that place a place of healing, empowerment, and grace. And above all, God, we thank you that your gospel is good news for every single person. And so for every one of us in here, no matter what decisions we've made in our past, no matter how we walk into this room this morning, God, you invite us into your presence. You love us, and you have sealed that love with your own son's death on the cross for us. We are loved. God, make that true for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, there's no awkward way to do this, but you have uh, clipboards at the end of your aisle. And the reason why I wanted to wait till now is uh, um, pick them up, begin passing them down. If you would like to help with Advice and Aid Spa Night this year, check the other box and write like A&A or Spa Night or something. We'll make sure we get you involved in that. There's more information to come. So if you're sitting at the end of the aisle, grab your clipboard, begin passing that down. Um, in those clipboards are also prayer cards. If there's ways we can pray for you um, this morning, we would love uh, to do that for you. You can give your prayer card to me, Andrew, Naya, the pastoral staff. Drop it in the gifts and offering box, whatever um, is your preference. And uh, speaking of offering, that's, that's the primary way we worship, or one of the ways we worship God. Um, here, we don't pass an offering box, but if you came prepared to worship in that way, you could drop your gift in the offering box, or you can um, give online via uh, PushPay or through our website. Uh, with that and kind of the spirit of worship, independence, and prayer, um, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? The scripture reading for today is Luke 12, verses 35 through 40. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like the men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door for him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to be 
together uh, this morning. And yeah, every year after the, that, the spa night, we get, uh, last year we got a, a card with a paper inside of it just filled with paragraphs of the moms expressing their gratitude. I mean, it's just such a wonderful event. So glad that we get to do that. And, and for the, the other guys out there who do, like me, enjoy to go to the spa, uh, no shame, right? There's no shame in going to the spa. I like it. I myself, I wouldn't go to an event like that. But it's, uh, but it's, good, it's good to be together this morning. My name's Andrew. If you are new here, a special welcome to you. If you need anything throughout the morning, the folks with the lanyards and the badges would be happy to help. Uh, we've also got some gifts on the table out here. Grab one of those on your way out. We are so glad you've chosen to be here uh, with us for this Sunday morning worship time. And we're about to open God's word uh, together. So uh, bef- as we always do, before we uh, open God's word, let's, let's pause. Let's ask for God's help in the, in the speaking and the hearing of his word. So let's pray. God, thanks for, um, thanks for time and space to gather together for worship. Um, thanks that we can call you Father, that we are your children, that you care for us individually, that you care for us as, as those gathered, called together under, under the headship of your Son, uh, as part of your church. God, thank you um, for, for calling us in the community together. And I pray now as we open uh, the Gospel of Luke together, uh, that you, where I, where I say my own things, would those words just quickly fall away and be forgotten? But where I speak your word after you, God, uh, move, convict us, encourage us, teach us, uh, I pray, whatever we need to hear from your spirit this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a question this morning, simple question. What has your attention? What has your attention? Last night for me, it was a Kansas-Baylor uh, game. You know, the moment when it looked like the Jayhawks might just lose. I was so excited about it. Uh, I, was, I was out to dinner. I'm a K-State fan, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I was, it was so close. I was out to dinner with my in-laws, uh, and we were, you know, it was, the game was on every screen at the restaurant, right? Perfect for just deep personal connections with the people across the table. Um, and I was doing my best to engage in conversation, but we were all sort of keeping an eye on it. You know, my, my in-laws are Wichita State fans, so we all would kind of have liked to see uh, the Jayhawks lose, except for my, my daughter, Evie, uh, my two-year-old. She's not a Jayhawk fan, thankfully, not yet. Uh, I hope, dear God, pray that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, she, she's the one that really, usually, you just can't peel her away from the TV, but she couldn't have cared less about the outcome of this game. And it was getting good. Kansas was down four with just a couple minutes uh, left. The cameras were sh- sort of showing the collective panic in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, I was sucked in, right? I was ready to just savor the moment. Here it comes. And I felt this tugging on my sleeve, uh, sort of repeated, growing intensity, uh, sort of, daddy, 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 daddy. Uh, and I, I just said, what, what, sweetheart? I mean, I, I don't even know if I looked at her uh, in the moment. I was so locked in. Uh, and so it continued, daddy, daddy, daddy. Uh, by that point, she was like standing in the booth, like face right here next to me. I said, yes, Evie, what do you need? What do you want? And she just simply said, I love you, Daddy. <laughs> and I mean, I could have melted on the spot. Do you think I cared at all that Kansas escaped another one-point win at home? Yes, yes. okay, I did still care a little bit. <laughs> But she had my attention. Fully, the rest of the evening, she had my attention. 
what has your attention? This morning, this month, in the trajectory of your life, what has your attention? That's at the heart of our text this morning, a parable from Jesus about paying attention. So turn to Luke 12 if you've got a Bible. Turn there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12. We're starting our year with sort of three weeks in the Gospel of Luke, looking at how Jesus shows us a different way. We've called the series Simply Different, and that's who we're, that's who we're supposed to be. That's who, what we're called to, to do, how we're called to live, simply and different. And two weeks ago, we looked at our calendars, how we use our time. Last week, we, we tackled the topic of generous, g- generosity. We're called to be, ought to be generous people because we've encountered a generous God. And today, it's our attention. A common theme for Jesus and in the New Testament all over. And in Luke 12, Jesus tells us a story. And so we're going to dive in, starting in verse 35. We'll read uh, verses 35 and 36 together first. We're going to camp out here a little bit because there's so much to see. So chapter 12, verse 35 says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. So Jesus gives two commands right out of the gate here before he launches into the parable. Two pictures that his listeners probably would have understand, but it takes a little bit of work for us to know what he's talking about here. The first is this. He says, stay dressed for action. Literally, maybe if you're reading an older version, it says... Uh, keep your loins girded, or gird up, gird up your loins. And in the ancient Middle East, uh, and still today, tunics are worn in the hot climate um, to sort of keep cool and breezy, right? Uh, it would hang almost to the ground sort of to keep your legs uh, a little bit clean, but without a belt, so it's nice and airy and open uh, and loose. But if you're needing to do some work or to get somewhere in a hurry, if you're trying to travel somewhere, you needed to belt your robe or to gird up your loins. And I did some digging. I found a how-to. Yeah, here it is. Uh, here's sort of a how-to. I actually almost had like somebody come up here with a tunic and do it. And, uh, I don't want to buy a tunic for this. So anyway, uh, so it, real, real quick, right? it, run, it dragged down to your, uh, almost to your ankles. So you're supposed to gather it up right in front, pull it real tight in front of you. I mean, real tight against the back of your legs. And then actually pull it through the back of your legs and pull it into two, right? So we're down here in the bottom. Uh, feels like a diaper at this point. Now you've got two, uh, two handfuls of tunic in front of, on your side, and then you pull it around the front, tie it in front, or belt your robe. You'd stick it into your belt. And so now, in this garb, you are prepared. You're ready to go. You could travel. You could fight. You could work. And that's, that's the picture that Jesus gives us right here at the top. Stay dressed for action. Keep your loins girded. Don't ungird your loins. Keep your apron on and be ready to work. That's the idea. Don't put on your slippies and your jammies and lose yourself in Netflix. Stay dressed for action. First picture. Second picture, keep your lamps burning. Have you ever tried to light, maybe your electricity goes out, uh, pitch black in your house. Have you ever tried to go light, light a candle in the middle of the night? It's pretty hard work. You're fumbling around in the dark. In the ancient world, having enough light to accomplish any task meant a light by fire. 
And so if someone came to your door, it's sort of the picture that Jesus has in mind here with this parable. We'll get to it in a second. If someone came to your door in the middle of the night, it would take quite a bit of work to have light enough to do that, especially if it was a stranger. You'd want to have some light in your house. And Jesus says, then, keep your lamps burning. Don't, don't blow out the light. Keep your lamps burning like servants expecting the return of their master, even late into the night. Keep the lights on. That's the idea. So gird up your loins and keep the lights on. Taken together, Jesus basically says, stay alert, be prepared, right? Pay attention. But be prepared for what? That's the question here. So Jesus launches into a parable to paint the picture. Remember, that's what parables are. They're stories that will paint a picture to illustrate a truth. And so here's the scene. The master of a house is at a wedding feast, probably even actually a wedding feast that's being hosted in the banquet hall of his own estate. And the servants are awaiting its, its conclusion in their quarters. I mean, think like Downton Abbey, only less British, right? They're, they are downstairs in their part of the estate waiting for the, waiting for the conclusion of the feast. And I've been helped immensely uh, by a scholar, a Middle Eastern scholar named Kenneth Bailey. He has a work called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. There's no way I could read this parable without some help uh, in time and setting and history. And he points out two words that are important. One that has to do with the servants and one that has to do with the master. First, we're told that the servants are to be alert, to pay attention, like those waiting for their master. Waiting. That's the word. We just talked at length about waiting during Advent. That's a big part of Advent. And we should see in this word, as we read it here, uh, a nuance of expectation. The servants weren't passively killing time like you would at the DMV, right, waiting for your number to be called or whatever. Uh, think It's more like waiting for a movie to begin at the movie theater or waiting for Christmas to come. Right? There's some excitement. There's some expectation. That's the idea here. Be like servants who are expecting the master to come at any time. Second word is the, word, is the verb for the master. My translation says uh, the master came home. He comes home. Yours might say return. Uh, they're waiting for the master to return. Both, both the English translations, come home and return, they sort of paint a picture of the, of the master arriving after the party is over, right? That would be the natural way that you might read the story, read the parable. The party has ended, uh, and then he comes home. But there's another reading that actually fits the story and the context a little bit better. In fact, uh, there's another Greek word for return, uh, that Luke uses 21 times in this gospel, 11 different times in Acts. It's his preferred word if he's talking about coming home or returning. And Luke chapter 243 is actually a good example. It's from Jesus's childhood. It says, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. The feast is over, so they returned home without Jesus. So that's a different story. We're not teaching that story this morning. But here in our parable, Luke chose a different word, not that word for return. And it's the only time he uses it in, in the entire gospel. The word is analuo, which literally means to unloose, to set free, to depart. And it's only used one other time in the New Testament, translated depart in Philippians 1.23. Some of you are familiar with this passage. Paul is saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, I, if I'm going to live in the flesh, that means good things, fruitful labor for me, yet it's hard for me to decide which I want to do. 
I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better, for that is far better. What's Paul saying here? He says, I'd rather leave this life early and be with Jesus. That sounds like a way better deal, right? So back to Luke. Hopefully I haven't lost you here. Back to Luke. There's a nuance in this parable that's important. It's likely that Luke is introducing us to a master who broke loose from a lavish black tie event. This huge party, this wedding feast. He didn't just return after it ended. He left early. He slips out of the party. The master doesn't just come home. He comes home early. So let's put verses 35 and 36 together. Jesus says to his hearers, stay alert, be ready, pay attention. Like servants who are expecting their master to slip out of the wedding feast early, you need to be ready when he knocks at the door. So the question is, why do they need to be ready? What are they waiting for? Why, and why is the master leaving early? We're starting to get a sense for what kind of master we're dealing with here, but Luke's not even close to finished. So we're going to keep going. Look at verses 37 and 38, which are bound together by this word blessed. Jesus says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So Jesus says, blessed are the servants who are awake when he comes home. So two things to notice here. First, the word blessed is makarios, which which literally means happy, not in a fleeting kind of way, uh, but is indicative of the good life, the life we were made to live, like joy, not a feeling, but a lasting joy. And the good life, in the most ultimate sense, belongs to those who are ready when the master comes. Second, it's important to know that the servants are the lowest of the low in the household. So this master, he is the highest of the high, and the servants, there's no one lower than the servants in the house, which makes what Jesus says next astonishing, shocking, even scandalous. He says, truly, I say to you, which can be translated, you're never going to believe this. He says, listen, I'm not making this up. The master himself, when he comes home, he will get dressed like a slave. He will gird up his loins. It's actually the same language as verse 35. He will gird up his loins, invite the servants to dine, and serve them himself. Now, this is unthinkable. I mean, it just just wouldn't happen. It's It's a stunning reversal of roles. The servants who are ready to serve at any hour of the night are met here with a beautiful surprise. Remember, the the master has left the party early, and now it's starting to make sense why. He wanted to bring the feast to his servants. Imagine it with me. The master grabs a tray, and he just piles it full of the finest cuisine imaginable. Food from the wedding feast, he piles it up onto a tray. We're heading to Chicago this week, so I have, I, have, uh, I have deep dish, Chicago pizza on the mind. Pequod's Pizza, the best pizza in Chicago. Don't listen to Tim, don't listen to Naya. They don't know what they're talking about. Pequod's is the best. But maybe it's not pizza for you. Uh, maybe it's 
whatever it is, it's there. Filet mignon, lobster tail, burnt ends, a full-bodied Cabernet or an aged whiskey. Kids, the best mac and cheese you've ever had, right? Chick-fil-A for days, it's all there. Adults, maybe you want Chick-fil-A for days too, I don't know. But he loads it all up, he sneaks away from the party, eager to bless his servants. And he doesn't, he doesn't ask a waiter to take it to them, though that would have been totally appropriate and very generous. But that's not how the parable goes. He delivers the feast himself. So he gets to, the, he gets to their quarters and he, and he knocks quietly. Quiet enough so as not to draw attention to the rest of the house. Doesn't want to call out so, so everyone knows he's left. But loud enough that anyone awake on the other side would hear it. And then he rushes past their shocked faces, right? He puts, puts on an apron, and then he invites them to the banquet table. He switches places with them. Eric, have a seat. Bobby, Bobby, right here, right here. Kathy, those scallops that you've always been eyeing when you prepare them, I brought them just for you. This mac and cheese, kids, come get it. It's all for you. I brought it for you. Of course, you, try, you probably tried to put up a fight, you know, like, like when someone tries to take the check. We just can't stand the generosity, the grace that's being extended to us, but it's no good. He's your master. You have to take a seat at the table. And he says, dig in. It's all yours. I brought this just for you. Now you, you didn't see this coming. You're a devoted servant. You've stayed up all night waiting for your master to return. You're prepared for him to come. But this, you weren't expecting this. There's no way you could. It's the most far-fetched, unlikely, incredible turn of events you could imagine. Now, how would this change you? Knowing that you are loved like this. Knowing that your master was thinking of you during a lavish wedding feast. And what if you had missed it? What if you had put on your slippies and jammies and turned in for the night? Meanwhile, the master standing at the door with the best food and drink imaginable, he arrives unnoticed, crowded out, missed by those too distracted to notice. And we do this, friends. We're not paying attention. Distractions keep us from opening the door and feasting at the table. They keep us from feeling the tug on the sleeve. What has your attention? Because many of us aren't actively rejecting Jesus. <laughs> it's not the real danger in your life or in mine. The real trouble, trouble is we're just too distracted to notice him. He's tugging on our sleeve and we're watching the game. We're just not paying attention. And look, distraction has always been a danger. This is nothing new. There's nothing under the sun. That's why Jesus is teaching this parable in the first place. Today's distractions are different, but attention has always been a challenge, which is why being anti-technology, it's sort of a, it's a, 
temptation to be anti-technology as a distraction just doesn't help us. Here, technology isn't the problem. It's our chronic inattentiveness to God that will keep us from being blessed like the servants in this story. But we do, we should be honest about the unique distractions of our day, of 2018, of how our devices pose a real danger to our attentiveness. Sherry Turkle, who's a professor at MIT, he, she makes a compelling argument in her book called Reclaiming Conversation that our brains and our lives are literally being rewired by our devices. We're losing our ability to have conversation, right? Studies have shown even if, if you have an iPhone even just facing down on the table, it reduces the depth of conversation because everyone knows you could be interrupted at any moment, right? And we're lonelier than ever before. When do you feel relationally filled? After an hour on Facebook or when you're physically present with another human being? Right? We think we're connecting, but we're actually growing more and more isolated. I introduced this book uh, during our Vice and Virtue series, 12 Ways Your, Your Phone is Changing You. And I want to bring back this quote because I think it fits well here. Tony Rinke says this, perhaps most subtly we find it easy to fall into the trap of digital distractions because in the most alluring new apps we find welcome, we find welcome escape from our truest, rawest, and most honest self-perceptions. We love staring at our screens, at least in part, because uh, it, they keep us from looking in the mirror, dealing with our own stuff. Or they just protect us from silence. Uh, we're not used to silence in the course of everyday life. Being alone for some of us is just torture. I have, to, I have to think. And yet solitude is important. It's an important part of our spiritual health and growth. Now, I'm not anti-technology. This is not meant to get, get you to get rid of your phone or to cancel your Netflix account, not necessarily. But we need to open our eyes to the dangers, the potential dangers of having the world in our pocket at all times, right? Distracted moments that turn into hours, that turn into days, then years, and before we know it, a lifetime of missing the knock on the door. But it's not just our devices. Jesus, in Mark 4, he taught about the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things that choke out the seed of God's word. Remember the parable of the sowers spreading the seed? Some land in the weeds. The weeds of life that can steal our attention and keep us from bearing fruit from growing in character, from being effective witnesses to the gospel. Our busy schedules can distract us from Jesus. Wealth and possessions, social status, our kids' activities, our career ambitions, our sports obsessions, our political interests, all of these things, good things, can divert our attention away from feasting with our maker, from being with our savior. The worries of this life, the allure of wealth, desires that can steal our attention day in and day out. But instead of letting these things take our attention away from Jesus, we need to see Jesus in the midst of all that's going around, on around us. Because you can't escape the distractions. They are here to stay at some level. You can minimize them, but you can't remove them because literally any good thing and take your attention. What we need isn't an escape route, but a readiness to find Jesus at work at every turn, knocking on every door. We ought to be those who are expecting our, our master to do something unexpected. 
prepared for him to leave the party early and bring it to us. Paying attention to Jesus, ready for him to show up with whatever good thing he has for you, ready to serve, lights on. And best of all, seated in his rightful place. That, Jesus says, is the good life. Blessed are the servants who are served by their master in extravagant and unexpected ways. But we can miss it. We can miss him. And the, war, the reward isn't just for then, sometime out in the future when Jesus returns. Don't miss Jesus now, friends. He's at work all around us, bringing a feast that we will miss if we're not paying attention. So I just wanted to leave, leave us with a few handles for paying attention to Jesus. First is put distractions in their place. We're not anti-technology, and we can't just escape from the world that we live in, but we can be vigilant about our priorities and be honest with ourselves about what distracts us from Jesus. So just do an audit of your day, of your week, maybe even a year. What can pull your attention away from your relationship with Jesus? Some of you do need better habits around technology. Sorry, some of us do need better habits around technology. To create some margin and some quiet, some space Maybe you should stop using your phone as an alarm clock so it's not the last thing you look at before you go to sleep and the first thing you look at in the morning. Or just leave it in a basket when you get home. Maybe a, a tech detox is the right move so, that, so there isn't so much noise and you can attend to God's voice. Maybe you should cancel Netflix or delete Facebook uh, or Instagram from your phone. If you think that's you, I re-recommend 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. It's a good read. Many of us just need to redeem our device usage. Again, your phone isn't a bad thing. Devices aren't bad things and can be used by God for your spiritual health and wellness. But intentionality is key. And we need this, too, for our calendar dates, our home renovation projects, your sports fandom, your travel plans, the, the building blocks of our lives, the things that make up our lives. In everything we do, we are charged to gird up our loins and be ready for our master to bless us with the unexpected. That's the good life. And that means putting distractions in their place. Second, engage the spiritual disciplines, which I know is like super predictable. <laughs> Typical pastor telling us we need to read our Bibles and pray more. And you know what? Yes, you're right. Because here's the thing, there just is not a better way to pay attention to everything that God is doing around you than to hear from and talk with him on a regular basis. Right? Things that used to seem like coincidences will, not, will become, miraculously, answers to prayer. You will see them all around you. And you really can't commune with God without getting alone. We need the disciplines of solitude, of silence, of fasting, of rest. Sherry Turkle also says, if we don't learn how to be alone or undistracted, we will always be lonely. I think she's right. We'll never hear Jesus knocking on the door if we don't fight to get away, 
to follow his own example of finding time and space to be alone. And listen, I know that is hard for some. I have a four-month-old at home and a two-year-old. I understand it is hard to get away and be alone or quiet. But we need it. We need to get alone, but the other side of that coin is community. We need to be alone and we need to be with others. (laughs) Others who can hear the knock too, who are also paying attention. It's an important part of our design, how God made us. Put distractions in their place. Engage God in the spiritual disciplines, those, those things that put us in the way of God's grace. That is, that's what a spiritual discipline is. Finally, you need to believe this story. Like really believe that this is true of our God. Our master, Jesus, the son of God, left heaven to come to us. He left the party. He brought it with him, even. The kingdom of God, he, he's ushered it in. And then, in the most shocking twist imaginable, he becomes a servant. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He traded places with us. Traded places with you. We hand him our rags, and he gives us a seat at the table. Even more, we are welcomed into the family. It's the best news in all the world. It's why we gather. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I, we need to believe it. He is attentive to you and to me. It turns out I needed that lesson this week. That Jesus brought me a feast, and I don't don't want to miss out. I want to be ready, eyes wide open, to see whatever good thing he's up to around me. Rooted in the good news that the master is attentive to me and loves me enough to bring the party to my broken and messy life. Like Evie in a crowded room, full of distractions and noise, things going on all around, he's tugging on your sleeve, desperate to tell you how much he loves you. Don't miss him, friends. He's at work, ready to feast with you. And don't miss him then, either. He's coming back. Believe this good news. It's true, and it is for you. It's for me. The last thing I want for any of us is to be asleep when Jesus knocks. Then and now. Pay attention to the one who's always attentive to you. Let's pray. God, thanks that these things are true, that you came, you traded places with us. God, that you made, you made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in you we might become the righteousness of God and your son. That is truly why we gather, why we sing, why we do any of this. It's because this news is true, and, and you've given it to us to share with the world. But first, God, I pray that we would not miss it ourselves, that we would pay attention to what you're doing all around us, that we would see you at work, that we would accept our, our place at your table, not because we've earned it, but because you've traded places with us. You've taken our sin and shame, and you've given us your right standing before God. I pray that that news would animate all we do.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is, this is why we gather. It's why we come to the table every week. It's a tangible expression uh, of worship. We take the bread and the cup, his body and his blood, broken so that he could trade places with you and with me. So we do this every week. It's a, a feast that he's given us. Notice the last two weeks we've talked about feasting. It's important to Jesus. It's an important picture, and it reminds us of our place in his family. And so the way we do it here, we, uh, you don't have to be a member of this church. Um, if you do want to f- call Jesus your master, be his servant. We gather in groups of four to six at the tables, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat it in the instruction of the leader. So please come to the table as you are ready.